0: Oh, welcome to the front porch. I'm Lewis Love.
1: I'm the beauty on your
0: What's up, brother? What's good, doc? <laughs> oh, man. I think the last time we chatted was uh, we talked about the, the Creek Collective, right? Mm-hmm. And um, that work and some of the yeah. hopes and dreams behind that, and you know, church planting in uh, brown and black uh, neglected communities, mm-hmm. right? And you know, the thing about <clears throat> the thing about the Creek Collective and and um you know and in the gentleman that and the, and and the sister that's on our board as well mm-hmm. is that um we talk about the what we want to do we're not talking from you know across the street mm-hmm. <laughs> right mm-hmm. these these are mm-hmm. these are ministries that we are actually involved in you mm-hmm. know communities that we're involved in and so um in recent weeks t i thought about your city and I just want to talk to you and see if, and, and I know folks probably want to talk to you too and say, man, I wonder what T, what's going through his mind up there in, in the capital city during these days, mm. right? Uh, your, your town probably has indeed been the most talked about uh, town in, uh, in the country and probably in the world. Mm. All eyes are on, are on D.C., mm-hmm. right? So I thought about the Ministry of Arc, you know. Anacostia uh, River Church and wondered what it would what it must be like to to minister in a place with so much going on man at at uh, you know every week Mm. right (laughs) I I think it was John King John King said man we're we're living in a month of Wednesdays (laughs) right and uh, he kind of he kind of talks like that all the time right and he's like you know Wednesday we have you know this you know this this coup, this insurrection, this this attack, the Capitol building. Uh, the next Wednesday, <laughs> we're going to you know the president is impeached for the second time. Uh, and the next Wednesday, we'll be having an inauguration. Of, a know. month of Wednesdays. Uh, something's going on in your town, man. What's that like, brother? My goodness,
1: man, that that makes Hump Day rough, don't it? <laughs> it ain't ain't what it used to be (laughs) (laughs) listen man but you the, the the real real is it's been like this for four years that's true right now what we've seen in the last week has been the sort of most flagrant and in some ways shocking uh of events uh in the last four years but it, it's this city has been and the country I think will we'll, mm. we'll, will will have a long season, we'll need a long season of normalcy, of quietness, of peace and quiet in order to sort of come down from the trauma mm. uh, of these last four years man we've we've been as a republic taken through the ringer, and last week was really in some ways the culmination mm. of four years of misinformation, disinformation. Uh, of a sustained um, warring against all of our institutions, mm. uh, from intelligence to um, policing and the DOJ uh, to um, the institution of media and journalism, um, all you know it's, its it was a culmination of, of a four years war, um, mm. a four years assault on every American institution and American value, um, civic value. By the commander in chief, yeah, right. By by the one who is meant to protect the country, has sworn to protect the country against all his enemies, foreign and domestic. And uh, last week was a, a sort of culmination of his actually stirring up the enemies that are domestic um, into an insur- into an insurrection and an attack on the Capitol building, which is which is you know the symbol of lawmaking and, and law and order in the country so you've got the quote unquote law and order president as he styled himself um assaulting law and order mm-hmm. uh, and uh, all in the name of his his ego and all in the name of conspiracy theories about the election which have been debunked and failed at every turn and yet millions of people still cling to it and mm-hmm. so it's when you ask the question what's it like to be in a city you, you realize you're inhabiting uh, a strange world between sort of um, competing both visions of the country and competing epistemologies um, mm-hmm. and and competing sentiments that have been sort of stoked to their uh, sort of if degree um, and so you 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 you're standing between these extremes um and it's not, and, and the standing between the extremes is not sort of trying to sort of say, okay, let me let me admit a little bit over here and a little bit over there, and kind of both sides in it. You know, it's it's standing on one side, truth, right, mm-hmm. uh, rather than yeah. error, but but not being swept up even by those folks who are closer to truth, but still but still sort of uh, have gone too far uh, in their. In their reactions to things, it's a, it's a, it's a ticklish dance.
0: Sure. When you mentioned both sidesing of it, when you when you mentioned that, I, I thought about the, a lot of the, um, a lot of the uh, talk, a lot of the noise, comparing uh, what happened in the nation's capital, at the, nation, at the Capitol building to um, some of the protest, and even some of the looting that went on during the past summer. And I'm like, wow, I mean, so <laughs> mm. are you saying to me what happened, Wednesday, was okay? Mm. Is it, we're supposed to, I mean, since that happened, right. I just, yeah, the whole thing was like, just, just the whole framing of that is like, really, man, what are we, what are we talking about here? What's, what's going yeah. on in people's minds to, yep. to make that kind of a comparison?
1: Yeah, you know that that kind of comparison it probably has a number of roots, right? So this is what I'm about to say is not meant to represent everybody who might say such a thing, or 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 to suggest that this is the only reason they might su- suggest some things. But
0: I'm going to have to record that and play that again. That what I'm about to say does not represent to- everybody <laughs> and everything because, about time, this is listened to. What you oh. get ready to say represents. That's exactly right. It'll
1: be taken all out of context It'll be made absolute in ways that I, don't mean it. But that's okay. That's, that's it's, okay. It's, it's, it's the world we're in, right? That's right. That's right. And, yeah, and so, so this, is, this is what I want to say, is that the folks who make that comparison, I think, are doing that usually in a self-defensive and deflective way. Right, mm-hmm. because they have gone on for months in 2020 and for years since you know Mike Brown at least, decrying every protest as a riot and taking every instance of misbehavior during a protest or associated with a protest and blaming all the protesters um, and and trying to discredit protest itself right sure now. Four or five years later, at the end of the presidency, you've got a lot of those folks taken up with conspiracy theories who say, oh, we need to take to the streets now, too. We need to protest. So now protest has got to be OK. And, and in the worst form of it, they've got their own rioters, right, <laughs> who, who have who have gone farther than anything that we have seen in Black Lives Matter marches in terms of assaulting the folks, they said they supported. So they said Blue Lives Matter, but they assaulted Capitol Hill Police, right? They said they supported law and order, but they're the ones who are attacking lawmakers while they're making law, right? Right, right. They, they're, they're the ones who have said that they were supportive of the country. They're the real patriots, but they are the ones trampling the Constitution and, and trampling the peaceful transfer of power, which has been one of the miracles of the country for a couple of hundred years, Right. So now you've got to find a way to deflect that. And you've got to find a way to say that's not us. Right? Um, and, and you gotta you gotta find a way. Some people feel like they gotta find a way to say, well, it wasn't really that bad. You know, uh, I had I had some guy show up in my Twitter feed to say, you know, people are making more of this thing at the Capitol than it than it actually really was. Mm. You know, now that's dangerous. Sure. That that kind of know nothingness in service to one's own ego and protection of one's own ego in refusal to say i was wrong or this was wrong that is dangerous Mm. that's as dangerous as the folks storming the capitol building because it actually enables what happened at the capitol building right Mm. um and so you know i i think people who are sort of making those comparisons uh are doing so for Selfish, self-protective reasons often because anyone looking at these situations can note some some glaring differences oh, wow. so, to, yeah, so for yeah. example, if we talk about some of the violence that happened in Minneapolis uh, around the George Floyd protest, you know A lot of that was instigated by Proud Boys and Antifa Other white supremacist groups who were showing up to hijack it, which had nothing to do with the protesters, right? We look at some of the protests and marches going around the country, some of the destruction of property. A lot of that's folk clad in black, Antifa types, anarchist types, who who were being confronted by the protesters. Saying, hey, don't be doing that in our name. We didn't come out here to do that. That's not us. You know, you don't represent us. Mm -hmm. You know, we got video evidence of folks. But this thing happening at the Capitol—if there were people in the protest confronting the rioters, and maybe there were—I hadn't seen the video yet, mm. right? Um, and and the mingling of messages in last week's protest and riot is a is a is a stunning and alarming mingling of messages. So mm. you've got folks out there with anti-Semitic Camp Auschwitz. Sure, um, yeah, sure. man, yeah Making light of and, and rejoicing in the the gassing of millions of Jewish people mm. It's racist, yeah. vile racist you got folks carrying Confederate flags, you know, through the Capitol building Now the Confederate flag being the flag that's associated with the country that succeeded from the Union that was defeated in order to preserve the Union, right? So you got lost cause types trampling through the halls of Congress, right? sully it. And you've got you've got types out there who are, you know, with the other conspiracy theories around the election, you got the QAnon types and and others who are out there. Um and then you've got this kind of civic religious people who are out there. Um, the Christian nationalist types who are out there. Um it's a strange confluence of messages, strange in sense of at least anything Christian doesn't belong in that mix, sure. right? Um, and and the folks who are finding themselves unable to to parse the difference between those messages, sure. to condemn some, uh, well, to condemn all those messages, and put forth a, a, a glaringly true and beautiful mm-hmm. fiction of Christ, they're part of the problem, sure. right? Sure. So we've got a church world who's been discipled into that mess uh, for a number of years now, mm-hmm. and you know those chickens are coming home to
0: roost man the 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 making the con the, the making of bedfellows in that oh, oh, my oh my goodness it was it was wild it kind of you know and i don't know um and now, what i know is probably a very limited but and just talking with brothers and sisters um i'm not sure I, I i know of anyone there's been a lot of people trying to explain why looting happens. Um, But I don't know of anyone that say, Hey, it's okay. We need to go out and do some looting. Right. Right. And uh, yeah, you know what? He's going to go in there and just rob, you know, and burn up stuff. And and so the the recent thing that happened around us was Kenosha Uh um, with the, um, with Blake being shot seven times uh, Mm -hmm. in the, uh, in the back. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Did I say in Mm -hmm. the back? Yeah, in this back. Yeah, by the police officer. Walk walk into the car. Yeah. And, of course, no charges are recently, uh, last week or so, no charges are going to be brought. And so, in anticipation of some um, unrest, I mean, uh, they had called down 500 National Guardsmen to the small town of Kenosha. Wow. And so, while that was going on, there was a shooting here in Waukegan. By a police officer, right? Of again, unarmed, unarmed black man, and um, I'm just—I uh, was just so uh, impressed and and grateful for uh, a group of uh, black ministers in Waukegan, the, the North Shore Ministerial Alliance, right? And uh, in meeting with the mayor, and uh, saying, "Listen, we're going to meet you with helping to protect our city."
1: Mm. Mm.
0: we're not interested in you know in uh firing people up <laughs> let's right. get out of here and tear up Joaquin. No, we all live here we want to protect the city and we're going to right. join in and meet you and help you uh some things you need to do now <laughs> you mm-hmm. can't you can't turn a blind eye to what this officer did and the mm-hmm. mayor was uh and the, and the police chief uh they worked together and so um our city was 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 uh, at, at protest, they were protesting, but the ministers and the congregations worked together to to stop, not Amen. to incite.
1: Amen. Who
0: wants their town tore up, man? And so I think the whole comparison is kind of just whack in, yep. in itself. It's like, man, we, we're supposed to be thinking people. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. Yeah. That's good.
0: So, man, I mean... All of our cities have their issues, their dynamics, right? And we you know, none of them are quite exactly the same. There are some there are some similarities. Um but when I thought about you, man, and, and, and the fact that you're that you're in D C you were in Grand Cayman or Cayman Islands for how long, D? How long did you pass eight, through there? Eight years. Eight years. And so I'm like, hey, was he crazy? So he's leaving there. <laughs> <laughs> but when we talked before about the the Creek Collective, and even though there are, you, I think you always tell me how many nations that that you pastored or over in in Cayman. Uh, mm-hmm. There's still a heart for uh, your kinsmen according to the flesh back here in the states. Mm-hmm. And so I, I I jokingly say, why would you come back from that? But y'all had hurricanes down there and stuff, too, though. So (laughs) 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 you might have gotten you might have gotten some little unsuspected snow since you've been back. But nothing quite like having to board up your crib. Right. (laughs) That's right.
1: That's right.
0: So. So uh, what drove you? I know you love the people, but what drove you to D.C. in particular?
1: Yeah, man. uh, A a subjective sense of calling. Hmm. Uh, We were sort of. Thinking about um, where we would come back to plant. We would already sort of reached a, the sort of sense that we were going to come plant somewhere. And uh, we were we were kind of struggling with the where. And different people were suggesting different places. And uh, there's actually a British brother and, and his American wife who were down visiting us in Cayman once. And uh, around that time, and he asked me what was next. I said, well, I think we're going to come back and plant a church. He said, where? I said, I really don't know wherever the Lord sends us. And of all people, uh, the Lord put Anacostia in his mouth. He said, have you, have you thought about Anacostia? And it was like flares went off. And I was like, I had not thought about it till you said it at this moment. But just hearing you say it wow. sounds right to me. Because in the 80s, uh, when we were college students, my wife and I would come to D.C. My sister-in-law lived. Five blocks from where I'm sitting, right here in the heart of Southeast and Marbury Plaza off Good Hope Road. So this was our introduction to D.C. We, we've, long before we knew the monuments and all that good stuff, we knew Southeast. And um, the late 80s, early 90s, you know, you needed an invitation to come to Southeast, right? You need, <laughs> you need to know somebody over here uh, to come over here um, because you, you're heading into the height of the crack epidemic and, and all that goes on with that and whatnot. And so when he said that, I I knew the place, uh, at least, you know, through those experiences of visiting frequently and things of that sort. uh, Had a sense of the need. It fit the the kind of place that we were feeling called to. Um, And just subjectively, the more I thought about where in the day following that conversation, the stronger uh, my sense became that this is where the Lord would have us. And uh, we have felt like we're in the middle of God's will uh, from day one, we've we've never felt a liberty like the liberty we feel being here uh, with a certain sense that this is where God sent us.
0: Mm, well, you know, um, I made my first trip to Capital City because of you. Right. Mm. And so, yeah, I had never been and uh, we were going to go. But I kind of felt like you're saying you kind of need a an invitation <laughs> <laughs> to even come to the capital city. Period, let alone Anacostia. Uh, that's southeast. You keep saying, right? That's and right. and so, um, but
1: my. That's the F, brother. That's S-O-U-F-E-A-F-E. South, southeast. southeast. There you go,
0: <laughs> man. And so when my brother moved, I said, "Oh, we gonna to get to. Go, I'm going to get to go to." Jamie had been a couple of times because she grew up bougie. They went on, you know, they went around and visited stuff. You know, I grew up. We went around visited relatives, and, and they were all in the South, right? That's right. That's right. So, That's so we right. hit fifty seven from Chicago, heading south. Jamie, and them, they went on. You know, family vacations. <laughs> <laughs> I married up. I married up. Man, way up, brother. <laughs> said, way up. <laughs> and so, man. So I think that, and um, maybe I'm placing my ignorance on everybody, but um, so you you speak of Southeast. That's right. When people say Washington D.C., well, maybe some folks think that you planted your church you know on the mall right you're right you know you're you're right in <laughs> right in right the thick of it but that is not uh the case uh you planted in the neighborhood is it is it a neighborhood is it
1: how how is that yeah so there, there's there are tons of neighborhoods here so DC is a very neighborhoody city okay uh lots of little neighborhoods lots of little villagey feeling um and, and, and sort of concrete identities to to neighborhoods right so you hear some neighborhoods like uh, Georgetown, Capitol Hill, you know, places like that. Those are those are neighborhoods that many people will be familiar with if they're familiar with D.C. in a touristy kind of way. Mm-hmm. Well, there are just dozens and dozens of other neighborhoods that make up the city. Um, so if you're thinking about D.C., you think about it as sort of like a four-point diamond, uh, and you take it and you draw a line through the middle of it north and south, and a line through the middle of it east and west, You get these four quadrants, right? Uh, So the city has these four quadrants. You got northwest, northeast, southwest, southeast, Um, and we're in the southeastern portion of the city, which is almost entirely residential, um, which is a section of the city southeast and a good part of northeast, which is, in terms of geographic boundaries, has the Anacostia River running through the city. So there are two rivers that actually cross through the city, the Potomac and the Anacostia. And the Anacostia runs kind of north, northeast through the city. And it separates a, a a pretty highly residential section of the city from what most people think of. And when they think of the monuments and the, the, the White House and right, the, right, uh, right. those institutions. And this part of the city is um, 92, 93 percent African-American. Um, there's no... Um, real business sector, no no sort of large, vibrant employment base on this side of the city. So people work over across the river uh, or out in Maryland and Virginia. Um, most of this section of the city is a food desert. Um, so which means that people, you know, most of the houses, you know, more than 40% of the houses don't have cars. And uh, a place where you could buy groceries, uh, fresh vegetables and things of that sort is at least like a half a mile away, right? So it's you know, it's a measure of how difficult it is to get to food and groceries, and so most of the neighborhood is a is a food desert. Um, it's going to be marked by challenges with the school system, challenges with uh, crime, and and things of that sort. And that's a very, so it's a so Washington D.C. is a tale of two different cities. Um, mm. So you think on the one hand, most powerful city in the in the in the country, but those who live here and know you think on the other hand. Um, some of the most broken um, sort of s- cities this is also the most broken city uh, with some of the most distressed neighborhoods in the country and, and the last thing I'll say about that Lou is I think it's really important that people realize that that's by design that the history of, of zoning and housing practices and segregation and redlining the history of those things in this city is quite pronounced in its effect on the, on the composition of the city mm. uh, on the sort of economic and social and even to some extent racial, uh, stratification in the city. So it used to be that Georgetown this uptown swank neighborhood that people think of now. Well, that, that used to be, you know, a a place where there was a lot of, you know, poverty and, uh, that people, a lot of people of color lived over there, things of that sort. Somewhere along the way, a developer decided that he was going to make Georgetown into Georgetown. And guess what happened? Black folk got moved out, pushed out. (laughs) Gentrification happened, Made it became an upscale destination. Where those black folks go? Well, they were being forced increasingly into southeast D.C. and northeast D.C. and, and a couple of pockets in the city mm-hmm. where um, black folks were being kind of segregated through zoning practices and uh, segregated through um, sort of covenants, you know, housing mm-hmm. covenants in various neighborhoods and things of that sort. So it's a city with a troubled racial history. Yeah. uh... a dysfunctional racial history and uh that's written literally uh like most places in the country is written literally into the landscape.
0: Mm. You know when you, when you think about um, a lot of cities a lot of a lot of cities um especially where there are uh there's a large population of african americans. Uh, Chicago is like that. And the mm-hmm. word you used the word you use is that well the, the city is that way by design. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's what uh modern day proponents of color blindness. when it comes mm. to racism w- want us to think right. that w- won't want us to think that way they want us to think well it's just that's just the way things fell out it's like mm-hmm. no you think about redlining think about covenants and all of those things is this is a design and, right. and although redlining supposedly was outlawed several years ago several decades ago right mm-hmm. the effects of it that's right. you know are still with us today um, right. and so that's interesting. Uh, it's interesting. Food desert where all of these things where you just, you know, people just don't even think about a lot of folks don't think about um, where they're going to go grocery shopping, you mm-hmm. know, within 15 minutes or five, 10 minutes because and they have cars. Right. They're at the store. That's right. right? And uh, I th- it's interesting because we we first learned of or got turned on to in a real way, Instacart and all of that ordering from Christy. That's right. That's <laughs> um, right. It was yeah. blowing I, our minds. It's I, like, hey. <laughs> she's like, well, we just ordered. If I'm sitting there drinking coffee. She goes to the door. she bring in bags of groceries. <laughs> <to deliver>. I'm <laughs> like, oh. So Jamie works that well now, man. Thank you, Christy. Thank you, Christy. Because you'll be some winter. T- it's cold. One, It was cold. I'm like, Jamie, you got to do that Instacart thing, baby. I don't <laughs> like going to the store. Um. But that's another thing I noticed when I was there, T, is a lot of multiple family dwelling units. Oh, yeah. Apartments. And I mean, a lot of what's the deal? I mean, it's a lot, it seemed like to me.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, with with large cities, you're going to get density, right? Yeah. And so even though D.C. is geographically a small federal district, uh, in terms of density, there's actually quite a lot of density here. And that's because of the sort of multifamily units, whether it's... um, we don't have a lot of high rises. Right. Right. People right. Sometimes. But uh, but there are lots of sort of garden style apartments, lots of kind of townhomes here, uh, row houses, things of that sort. So you get a lot of density um, and, and particularly in in black and brown neighborhoods where you get that density, um, you know, uh, supposedly offered, you know, as a solution to sort of low income needs. Right. Um, and so what you do is you concentrate poverty. that That's basically all the sort of housing, public housing program and policies of the country were, it was the concentration uh, geographically of poor people and the segregating of poor people into neighborhoods uh, apart from more affluent residents and apart from the kinds of businesses and amenities that are in more affluent neighborhoods and uh, that's part of the vicious cycle of sort of segregating people into poverty then later coming along and gentrifying and cannibalizing um Mm -hmm. those when it becomes affordable to more wealthy people um and and when they're ready to sort of turn it into something else and displace people and so on so that's that's part of what you're seeing here so right now uh, you've probably heard the sounds of gentrification as we've been talking. You've heard some hammers or jackhammers or things of that sort. I, I look out sure. my window, and there's a there's a new there's a new building going up. Um, looks like it's got maybe six units, six large uh, kinds of units in it, but it's a new build, and it's it's right here next to older housing stock, and it's just one of those glaring examples of of redevelopment, uh, or gentrification, depending on how you look at it. Uh, nobody in this neighborhood, not many people in this neighborhood will likely be able to afford to live in that in that property. Uh, so it's built for people that they're trying to attract in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's just yeah, from the density to the redevelopment mm-hmm. uh, much of what happens in the neighborhood does not happen with the current residents in mind, but with sort of a future residential class in mind. And that's part of what you have to contend with as a as a planter and a pastor in a neighborhood trying to represent the the actual residents of the neighborhood, mm. which,
0: which leads to my next question. Because, I mean, these are challenges. These are things that you have to that you're that you're thinking about when you're when you're planting in a neglected area. Um, and a lot of church planters, been a lot of church planting, has been going on. It'll be, they'll be. have to think about that kind of stuff. Oh, that's right. No, they don't have to. And so, this is. Um, we're not trying to claim some status of being unique, but we are going to be very, very clear that there are some particular challenges and uh, things that you have to think about when you're talking about planting in some black and brown communities and neglected communities, for sure. Mm-hmm. And which. Might be why they're neglected or certainly being neglected um, perpetuates that. But it might be why. Well, let's just go just a little bit outside of that Mm -hmm. where we can where we can establish a ministry with, you know, five, 10, 15 families and they're self-supporting.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: And uh, that's right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So so with the Creek Collective, that's why we chose the word neglect. Yeah um we we didn't want to just say they were vulnerable neighborhoods which makes it looks like the problem is only with the neighborhood they are they are vulnerable in various ways uh we want to say ne- neglected because there's actually a long history and pattern of not just government and and not just citizens but also of the church um neglecting avoiding forsaking um mm. ministry in these contexts right so with a lot of church planting what you get is uh, plants that are kind of hood adjacent, right? But they're not actually in the hood, right? For the very reason that you're talking about, the perception is we won't be sustainable. But over here, we've got some some uh, families that are more more or less affluent, um, and we can say we sit at the intersection of three streets that that sort of represent some diversity, and and we we hope to draw people into this diversity. But again, that in in our context, right? Psychologically, because D.C. is so neighborhoody. To, to go half a mile or a mile seems like you just went cross town, mm, right? Because it's a very different neighborhood. You travel a mile or two, da, da, da. And then to have to travel a mile or two to the church without a car becomes a bit of a challenge. Well, why? Well, because you're probably, for work and other things, you're probably taking public transportation. Well, that costs money, right? So going going to church on a Sunday which is like an hour bus ride, 40-minute bus ride, compared to a 10-minute car ride, doing that, going and coming back, paying money to do that, that's chipping away into physical resources, and it's chipping away into financial resources that need to actually be used with work. Mm. Right? So you get this, this kind of... So, that, so a church that's planted hood adjacent isn't nearly as convenient to the people in the quote-unquote sure. hood as a church that's located in the hood, right? Right. Uh, And so place matters, and a theology of place matters immensely um, when it comes to these things, man.
0: Mm. Yeah, the old adage they use for when you're thinking about establishing a ministry, location, location, I mean a a business, location, 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 right? That's exactly right. That
1: matters in churches too. And just another thing real quickly, this is why, I I don't think I, I don't, if I'm being honest, I don't think I understood it well at the time. But if we go back, maybe 15 years ago now, we had brothers like Lance Lewis calling for a moratorium on church planting yep. in and around our context. And a couple of years later, brothers like um, what's my man name? I can't believe I just drew Tony, uh, Anthony uh, Bradley. uh-huh, uh, calling you know making the same call on a moratorium. Because, you know, in Bradley's case, is are saying, actually, a lot of these church plants are, are on the sort of the tip of the spear for the gentrification that's following, right? And I think there's something to that. Mm-hmm. I, I think we need to sort of pull up and think about that mm-hmm. and think about how we enter neighborhoods. And um, one thing that's at least clear is if you're going to enter neighborhoods that are vulnerable and neglected, I think you need to have an advocacy posture for that neighborhood. Or, or else you will be a contributory factor to the kinds of displacement, mm. kinds, of, kinds of justification that happens. Man, I had may so- not be your intent, may not be your intent, but I think it will be. But it far- happens.
0: Yeah. I had so, I had so many questions a couple of questions to add and you're answering them before I get a chance to ask you. <laughs> Cause I, so I was going my question was going to be, and I think in many ways you've answered, what are some of your greatest challenges? Well, you just ran down a lot. Are there, is there anything else you want to add to some of the challenges in planting in a neglected, in a neglected area?
1: Yeah. So one challenge is going to be becoming an acceptable outsider, right? Mm-hmm. That's the you, you, you're not known to the community uh, you don't know the community. Um, oftentimes because of problems like crime and things of that sort, there are high levels of mistrust um, in the community. And so you're going to have to have what one older gentleman called, told me when we were first starting, a commitment to revolutionary patience, right? Mm. Mm. You're going to have to be committed to being humble and waiting and being consistent over the long haul if you want currency and purchase. Uh, in that. And that, so that's a real challenge for people who think, you know, microwave Christianity uh, is is what we're practicing. Uh, so that's one challenge. Another challenge is I think, uh, and it's related to that, is I think you have to develop uh, a culture and a rhythm in 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 your church that that feels somewhat consonant, feels consistent with the neighborhood, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you're already foreign. But if your worship is foreign, too, it's just going to be sort of harder, right? And so there's got to be an honoring of, a respect to, a deference to, even a practice of the sort of music, culture, things of that sort that's in the neighborhood, right? So I don't I don't mind if on some mornings, some Sunday mornings, as we sometimes do, you know, the praise thing adds a little go-go beat to something. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, all right, now this deep, right? Everybody rocking that, right? See, you know. And, and the music right. is the easiest example of that, right? Yeah. But um, it's got, that's a challenge. That's a real challenge. And in, in a city like D.C., where so many people are politi- political by their vocation or, or by their interests, I think it's a real challenge to um, think through public theology and to have mm-hmm. a healthy public theology in a context like this. This city is always going to be home to the most powerful man or woman in the country. Uh, It's always going to be home to, you know, power brokers and and elites. Um, And so without becoming elitist, how does one develop uh, a ministry philosophy for engaging, you know, the persons who are right here on our doorstep, uh, who bring us so much in the way of either controversy uh, or bring us so much in the way of conflict and conversation um, and 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 yeah, you got to be prepared to, for that. So if you if you are someone trying to plant a church in a city, say a state capital or a major city, which is a cultural engine or a political engine of your area, um, but you've got a ministry philosophy that says, "Hey, we don't do politics. We don't talk about those things." Um, I I want to suggest that you think about that longer, because on the one hand, yes, you should not be partisan. You should not be signing up to say. Everybody here has got to be a Democrat. Everybody here has got to be a Republican. That's partisanship, right? That's not truth necessarily. Uh, But on the other hand, you've got to be committed to speaking truth to power. Sure. And and if not that, you've got to be committed to discipling your people to think in deeper biblical ways, lest they be carried away by the discipleship Mm -hmm. of the political culture. Um, And so that's a challenge, being able to, to try and do that. And to be understood as you're doing that, uh, not mistaken for being, oh, you're just being partisan because you mentioned this political topic. Um, I think a lot of people have been trained to think that way. And that's a real challenge then when a pastor comes along trying to shape you biblically um, to think about things, maybe in ways that are different than what you've always assumed. Mm-hmm.
0: It's interesting you mentioned, the, the, you mentioned the, um, the, the, man the prevalence of politics. And I had been to D.C. once before, but I didn't count that because it was business. And, <laughs> um, yeah, I came in uh, to BWI and, you know, old country boy. So they had to meet me there and to to take the, the commuter train in. because I'm uh-huh. like, hey, when I got off this plane, I'm going to be lost. <laughs> and so they had one of the office personnel to meet me. And uh, I couldn't. I mean, politics, that's. That young lady, I mean, it was amazing. Mm -hmm. Everyone in the office, I mean, we've had a cup of coffee before the day began, right? Politics. And and so you're right. So if you have this, well, there's two things we don't discuss, you know, religion and politics. Well, you might not want to plant a church or even visit washington minister in washington dc <laughs> exactly right. no that's
1: exactly right man because you go gonna get it from the cab driver you know you, you go just everywhere man it's, just, it's the air here right it's part of the culture uh and how can it not be this seat of the federal government you know? yeah
0: yeah yeah why wouldn't it be right yep. so so it's it's interesting because you you mentioned these some of some of the things you mentioned certainly there are some similarities in some other places in terms of patients. you mentioned how how'd you put that again
1: he talked, He said, "You got to be committed to a revolutionary patience. Revolutionary
0: patience. So, um, but but T, almost everything you mentioned, almost no, it does. I mean, all of those they do. It's like no, you can't do that in two three years. <laughs>
1: you can't. No, that's
0: exactly right. No, you can't. Exactly right. That model is just not going to work in a place like D.C. or mm-hmm. in many places, of hey. black and brown neglected communities." Yeah, you don't it, even know it, it, nobody in two or three years. They won't even know your name.
1: <laughs> that's exactly, right. That's like, exactly was there,
0: right. Was there a church? Was he ever here? <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's exactly right. Hey, and that's the other thing, too, right? Because folks yeah. in, in, in neglected communities, in vulnerable communities, they are used to people coming in, making promises, and disappearing.
0: That's right. right. So there are a
1: whole lot of churches. I'm surprised at the number of people I meet who say, oh, yeah, our church used to meet in the high school where we currently meet. Our church used to meet in high school, too. Then we got a, we got a place out in Maryland or a place in Virginia, and, and, you know, we picked up steaks. I'm surprised at the number of times I have that conversation. And and, and, and so then I'm not surprised at the sort of fatigue that the residents feel, you sure. know, when, when somebody else comes promising here he something. he
0: come again, yeah. Yep.
1: Uh, are they going to be here? Are they real? Are they genuine? You know, things of that sort. Man. And, yeah. and so you have, to, you have to be here long enough to live that down.
0: Say, so, oh, oh, he's going to be around for a moment. Yeah. Oh, he is in the community. I was I was encouraged when I was there. And you when I was there a couple of years ago and you were four years in, maybe five years in then. And uh, they knew Pastor Thabiti Mm -hmm. uh, because Mm -hmm. of the work that you had been doing, getting to know the neighbors, hanging out with the people and things Mm -hmm. like that and and establishing some relationships, which takes time. It takes 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 time. time. Yeah.
1: Particularly for an old introvert like me. (laughs) Because <laughs> it, it's really easy for me to go downstairs, flip on the TV, watch a game or something, play Xbox. Uh, so, so that's another challenge, too, just my own wiring, right? I'm, I'm an introvert and uh, sort of getting out of that to be in the community is something I'm constantly working against, right? Uh, in that way. So
0: Yeah, you and Steven are um, are Steven's an introvert too, right? And like and people meet you and say, No you're not <laughs> <laughs> right. But you're right. like yeah, but you don't know how this engine is purring on the inside. You don't that's know like, <laughs> like, right. You don't know that even right now I'd rather be at home. <laughs> but this so, so so then T, let me ask you this. You've been there now going on seven
1: years, right? Yeah, we came back in, in twenty fourteen. Yeah. So Boys, going on seven years.
0: years. This year it'd be seven years. Wow, time, time moves along, mm-hmm. right? What are some mm-hmm. of the valuable lessons you've learned in these seven years?
1: Yeah. Uh, number one, it ain't easy. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's somebody about that, that. Say
0: that say that again. Easy. Church planners need to know. And yeah. don't matter, how, only matter how much money you have.
1: <laughs> That's, right. That's <laughs> it's, right. It's not it's so, not easy. So, yeah. So pastoring ain't easy. Planting ain't easy being a church planting pastor in a neglected neighborhood ain't Mm -hmm. easy. So if you're looking for easy, don't sign up for this. Right. Right. Um, So number one, it's not easy. Number two, it it is reward. It is rewarding. It is joyful. Right. So I'm having the most fun in my spiritual life, um, shepherding Anacostia River Church, trying to figure out how to serve our community, things of that sort. Um, And so it is worth it. It's not easy, but it is worth it. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of joy in it. The third thing I would say, you're going to have to break some molds and some boxes, right? So chances are, if you're coming out of a sort of self-conscious evangelical space, or if you're coming out of a traditional black church space, that matter, that when you plant a church and you try to get relationships in a particular neighborhood, There are things that you can transfer, but there are a whole lot of things you got to break the box on. you got to break the mold on. And so I think people need a commitment to figuring out what it means to be a local church in their particular context, Mm. with their particular members. Uh, And folks need to not try to be like this church over here, over there, that did this, that, or the other thing that might have, quote-unquote, worked. Yeah, um, yeah. So there's, there's got to be a commitment to a kind of loca- being local, uh, to a kind of localness that, that is really, really important. Um, and that, you know, not necessarily in this order, but a fourth thing would be, man, you, you've got to make sure you really are committed to the gospel. Right. Yeah. That, mm-hmm. This is of first importance. Um, so, again, it's easy to be in places of high need and to sort of drift toward trying to serve all that need. And um, that's easy to do in part because people will applaud that. You know, if you come and say, "Hey, we we got twenty thousand dollars, want to give a grant to somebody to do an after-school thing," or "Hey, we've got fifty volunteers," you know, a lot of people are like that's great. You know, the, the you know the the unbelieving world recognizes the goodness in that and will applaud that, right? But only Christians will applaud you for the gospel, mm-hmm. and um, and so you you've got to be you know sort of. Rock ribbed in your commitment to the gospel, and the centrality of the gospel to your preaching, to your counseling, to your evangelism, uh, and all those other things. And mm-hmm. so, you got to have a firm hand on that. It's, here's the last thing I'll say: I, I'm sometimes surprised at the number of folks who say they want to be church planters but don't know what a church is. Mm-hmm. And so, you got to have a firm ecclesiology, right? You got you got to know what you're planting, what you're building, um, and and you got to. I would argue. You got to derive that from the Bible Mm. um, if you're going to be healthy and sane and uh, if you're going to prevent yourself from being drawn off into other missions. Right. Um, And so those those things. And then finally, I want to suggest that you've got to have a high view of your neighborhood and your neighbors. Mm. Um, So if, if you come into a neighborhood, any neighborhood, rich or poor, and you are sort of despising the people there. And despising the culture there and, and not seeing God's grace, common grace even, at work in, in the lives of the people in, who are your neighbors. Um, you don't love them. You know, practice neighbor love. Mm-hmm. There's, not, there's not much chance of success. People, people can feel that. You, you, that just sort of comes off of you like, you know, cigarette smoking your clothes. Uh, and so, you know, we, we're going to want to shower. Uh, if if we've got some of that on us, and we're going to want to develop uh, a real genuine love and affection, and a high view of our neighbors and our neighborhood, right? So so that young man on the corner, you've got to look at him and imagine him to be the the mm-hmm. next or or Paul, right? That that young sister that you see in the you know in the in the grocery store, maybe with a young child, you you've got to imagine her to be the next Tabitha or Dorcas, right? You got to you got to imagine her to be the next Lydia. Um, you've got to have a high view of, of human potential and God's grace in cultivating that potential.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, you, you the high, a high view of the gospel. You have to mm-hmm. love and know the gospel and a, and a good, solid ecclesiology. See, because, you know, when, you're, when you have confidence in the gospel, and you mentioned Lydia, and mm-hmm. uh, see, the Lord opened her heart. That's right. Right to to adhere to to hear the things that Paul and his companions were saying, Amen. and so you're in there and you're in there, and you're not you don't have the superhero con uh, con, uh, con type of uh, you don't understand yourself to be the one that's going in there rescuing people.
1: That's right.
0: Jesus rescues people.
1: That's right.
0: Right now we're we're there um, to serve mm-hmm. as human representatives, but we don't change people's hearts. Mm-hmm. We love them. And, good. Uh, you know, and so that's part of uh, the work of as part of understanding the importance of the gospel and mm. have and having a healthy ecclesiology, the work of the church. Man, that's rich, brother. That's rich, oh, and you know, again, every context is 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 different. But there are some of the things you you talked about. I would encourage folks to go back and and uh, we listen to this, to replay those, and jot those down. Those things that are necessary, think lessons that my man T learned, um, because you can learn those. You can go in <laughs> on the front end of that and say, I'm I'm looking to learn and 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 understanding things going in. <laughs> Or you can be on the backside and say, "Oh, That's I, right. wish, I a, a, a higher, um, wish I had a higher, wish I had a higher trust in the gospel,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> which I mm-hmm. trusted the
0: gospel more than I trusted myself."
1: Amen. And going in,
0: and so mm-hmm. um, great stuff, man. I appreciate that. I'm I'm looking forward to getting some more church planters and uh, out here on uh, the front porch and talking Amen. about w- what it means and some things they've experienced and uh, and how we can help. Uh, other brothers and sisters, yeah, who are taking on this work. Man, praise God for the work. How can folks pray for ARC, man?
1: Yeah, man, if you want to pray for ARC, pray for revival. Ask the Lord Mm. to send revival to our neighborhood and our city. Uh, Pray that we would grow in zeal for the Lord and the fear of the Lord. Um, Pray that he would continue to supply our needs Mm. uh, financially and that we would be good stewards in, in sort of um, using that to, to bless our neighborhood in various ways, pray for good partnerships with, with other institutions and other players in the neighborhood, um, and that we would, we would see genuine spiritual revival, mm. but we would also see revival socially and That's right. uh, maritally and family-wise and um, all those things, man. There's a lot of need here, uh, but we have a great God.
0: Amen, amen. And he loves the folks way better and deeper than what we'll ever be able to. He does. Man, and folks, while you're praying those things for uh, for Ark, please pray them for New Life Walk Egan as well and every other church plant and church that you know. T, it's been good chatting with you, man. man it's always it's a pleasure, good, man. Thanks for sharing with us. Ryan. Man, always a
1: joy, my brother. Always a joy. Have a great one.
0: You too. And folks, thanks for joining us here on the front porch. Talk to you next time.